Digital Marketer. This week, we're talking automation with Brad Martineau. Hello, lovely listener. This is Jenna, and I just wanted to tell all you turkeys out there, happy Thanksgiving. We're so grateful for you, and in return, we wanted to share one of our favorite episodes from The Vault. Have a great week, and we'll see you with a new episode next Thursday. Brad really knows his stuff. He was actually the sixth employee at Infusionsoft and went on to start Six Division and now just helps businesses build these successful client journeys. But what we learned was actually that automation's kind of more than just the client journey. All right, so we'll go back to... (laughs) To go back to the beginning, I always frame my stories with growing up as a sixth of 10 kids. And this is important because anyone that's had kids or has talked to them that has kids knows that when you have your first kid, past fire falls on the ground, you like incinerate it, go buy a new pack, <laughs> you like clean that pack and then give it to your kid. When the second kid comes around and the past fire falls down, you put it in the dishwasher and you like make sure that it's totally clean before you give it back. When the third kid comes around, you just kind of brush it off and give it back. When the fourth kid comes around, they're like, look, just put it back in your mouth yourself. <laughs> I was the sixth kid. So you can. Tells you yeah, where that was. Yep, yep. So I don't even know if I got a pacifier. I think it was just like, here's some dirt, eat it or something. <laughs> so the reason why I tell that story, though, is because I have amazing parents. By the time I came around, my parents were done with the helicopter parenting phase, uh-huh. which meant I got put into a world of like, I got to figure stuff out growing up. And so I, I, at a very, very early age, I became fascinated with systems because I recognized that the easiest, fastest way to get anything done, and the only real shortcut that exists is to do it right the first time. So I always became fascinated with how do things work and what's the system that allows me to either get way more done for the same amount of time and energy or spend way less time to get the same amount done. So my mom on Saturdays, every Saturday we were up, I swear it was like at 4.30. It might have been 7, but I was young. So <laughs> it had woke me up and it was like, go work in the yard for five hours. And in my mind, I'm like, no, that's not how my brain works. My brain is, tell me what you want done. I'm going to figure out the fastest way to actually get it done. Growing up, I had this drive and passion for systems. And then it was about 2004, my brothers reached out and they had just started this little company. At that time, it was a very little company called Infusionsoft. And they were looking for someone to be their support team. There were six people there, but their entire support team was leaving, which was one person. And they recruited me to come work there. And that was my introduction into marketing and into entrepreneurship. And they had a software platform that allowed people to leverage systems to grow their business. I was like, this is like (laughs) right up my alley. This is you. (laughs) This is right up my alley. So I got hooked in on the systems track and then with software. And then I got introduced to entrepreneurship. I got introduced to marketing. And really over the seven or so years that I spent there is where then I fell in love with everything about entrepreneurship and really fell in love with marketing and then combining that with systems and how entrepreneurs can impact and serve so many people, impact and serve themselves and their families and do it with systems. It just makes their life easier. So that was the introduction started from when I was born and it just became like a perfect blend when I hit Infusionsoft. And that really is where I got introduced to digital marketer. It's where I got introduced to all the marketing gurus and just the principles. And it's been a blast. So what event and experience led you onto that path of I'm leaving, I'm going to do my own thing? There are some entrepreneurs that are like, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm going to go do my own thing. Then there are other entrepreneurs that have the DNA, but they don't know it, and they're a little bit hesitant. Mm-hmm. That would be me. That was <laughs> me, definitely. So actually, I was helped to get out the door of being an employee to an employer. So it's 2010-ish, somewhere around there. Infusionsoft's cruising along, and they hit some bumps, and I was like, all right, well, we either need to make a decision now, lean up, 
and we can do some severance for people that have been around for a long time. Or if we hit a couple more bumps and we're going to let people go and there's no option for us to actually create a soft landing spot. So they did a round of layoffs, laid off 10% of the company. We're at about 150 at that point. Okay. So I'd gone from six to 150 and I was included in that 10%. So I got laid off. I tell people I got fired um, just to make it sound more dramatic. <laughs> right, right. And people know the story. So my brother-in-law and my two brothers actually started and founded Infusionsoft. There's like, well, was there any drama? Because it was like your brothers and it was your family and they fired you. And there's a whole story that my brothers came over at like two o'clock in the morning to have the conversation because they didn't want me to find out like everybody else the next day. Anyway, the experience that led was I got canned and I woke up the next day and I had five kids and my youngest son was six weeks old. And it's like, ah, I'm going to have to figure out some way to make some money. And <laughs> yeah. so all of a sudden, yeah. there I was. I was no longer an employee, and mm-hmm. I had to figure something out. So when you entered this world of entrepreneurship, I mean, you were in a way forced into it. What were some of the biggest hurdles and challenges that you had to overcome as you were establishing yourself as an entrepreneur? Oh, man, so many hurdles. Um, <laughs> so bet. I'd say the first one and the biggest one, it's a personal one. It's the mentality and it's the mindset of being able to see yourself as an entrepreneur and as somebody that's going to go run a business. So for me, the day before I was an employee and I had a job and I was excited about where we were up to, I'd still be there if they hadn't let me go. And then the next day, all of a sudden, that's not my identity. And you have all sorts of doubt about, well, can I go do this new thing? Like the first thing I did is I went and I looked for jobs, but I got five kids and all the jobs that I saw myself as capable and qualified of doing didn't pay nearly enough to support five kids. I was like, well, I guess now I'm an entrepreneur, so we'll go figure this thing out. <laughs> so here's what I did. I went and I said, well, I know this Infusionsoft thing really well, so I'll go do some freelance consulting, picked up clients, made some money, realized really quickly I don't like freelance consulting. I got to be building something. I got to have a team around me. And so I sort of stopped working. I had just enough money saved up, and I had made enough money that I could afford to be stupid. And I was trying to figure out what did I want my impact to be. That's probably the hardest thing to do because there's no book written for it. So I'd say the first hurdle was I spent a year and a half essentially only half committing to little things and not really deciding what I wanted the business to be until ultimately I ran out of money. And then it's funny, when you run out of money, you get smart really fast because you can't afford to be stupid anymore, which is like really big lesson. Um, But the first hurdle was me actually realizing that business is really simple. You just have somebody that you're going to serve. They have something that they need, some sort of transformation you can create for them. And then you've got to package it up into a product or service. And then you have to just go market and sell that product or service. I didn't get that. So I spent a year and a half playing around with, well, what would my logo look like? And (laughs) what does my website need to look like? And what are all these crazy advanced things that I could be doing in my business? And the reality is that the first biggest hurdle was that's all a distraction. The only thing that matters if you're going to go into your business is who are you going to serve? What are you going to do for them? And what is the transformation you're going to provide? And then how are you going to do it in terms of products and services and then go market and sell those products and services? So the first biggest hurdle was committing to that and getting my mind where I saw myself as an entrepreneur that could go deliver that. And then once that happened, you know, the next one is, oh, well, now we've got to grow and there's got to be a team. And so now uh-huh. the next hurdle becomes, okay, well, I've got to now see myself not only as an entrepreneur, but now also as a leader. And I've got to create a vision. Then I've got to saddle up and take the responsibility for the team. Now I've got families that are coming in. We've got to provide for them. So the hurdles, there's just hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, which is what entrepreneurship is. That I don't see any of that as negative. It's just kind of the yeah. journey that you got to go on. I feel like any entrepreneur's journey is similar in which those are the things you have to learn and figure out. And as much as you hear it yourself, it's like until you're there and you're doing it, you're not going to learn it. There's a difference between understanding something intellectually or conceptually. It's like, oh, yeah, I get that. 
it's not the same as after you've lived it. Like there's an appreciation and an experiencing of the lesson. And it is so like, you know, you can say it, it's like, hey, here's a checklist. See yourself as an entrepreneur and then go decide <laughs> what your products are and then have the confidence to go sell them and then have the confidence to go hire people and have them leave another source of income to come have a source of income from you that you're going to provide for them. And it's a whole nother thing to actually go do that. And mm-hmm. actually see yourself as an entrepreneur and actually decide on the products and actually have the confidence you can sell them and actually yeah. go bring other people in and have them leave their other source of income. And you look at their business like, well, they're at a stable business and you know, you know all the flaws of your business. So you look at it like, well, it's stable, but I don't know how stable it is because yeah. that's the way every single business is. So there's a lot of, I would say fundamentally the foundation of every single business is the entrepreneur. And I believe that everything that you have, whether in business or in your personal life, is a direct result of who you are. Mm-hmm. And a business will not, cannot, it is impossible for a business to grow and scale beyond the capacity of the leader to lead it. And so the ultimate number one hurdle when you're getting started is you have to be a leader of a business and you have to actually get to that point and your business will never grow beyond your capacity as a leader to lead the business. So that's hurdle number one. And then there's, like I said, a bunch of other hurdles that follow yeah. in terms oh, yeah. of employees <laughs> and payroll that. and all that stuff. Yeah. So. so you mentioned your specialty is simplifying the complex and bridging the gap between theory and execution. How are you accomplishing this? <laughs> yeah, that, that's funny. We read that and it's like, oh yeah, some we had one of our copywriters, somebody must have wrote that. So, here, <laughs> so here's, there's some truth to it. It's what I love doing. I just, the way that it's written makes it, it's not written like a normal human being would write stuff. <laughs> um, so here's the truth though behind it. This is the way that I would say it is everything's easy until it's time to actually go do it. Mm-hmm. I'm actually just by nature, I am much less fascinated or concerned with all of the what's that somebody could do, like all the strategies. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really fascinated the fact that everybody tries to do them and like the success rate that people have of actually getting ideas across the finish line and implemented so that they're actually running in the business is so low. And again, it goes back to when I grew up, like my brain is, no, how do I do things faster, more efficiently and actually get things done? So for me, my brain and the way my brain works is cool. You have an idea. My brain will immediately go into how do we get it done in the simplest possible fashion and actually get it up and running because I don't care about the conversation of someone that had a million ideas. It's like, cool. So how many of them are running? Well, none. Like, well, it doesn't mean anything. So we have an analogy. We had a lot of football players and coaches at sixth division right now. And so the analogy in a football world is when you have an offensive play that's lined up, you can send players in motion. And what a lot of people do is they are perpetually sending people in motion, but they never hike the ball. So the idea of how do I simplify the complex and bridge the gap between this idea and then getting it into reality for me is like, you got, you got to hike the ball. You have to somehow get this thing live because this is sort of the life cycle of an idea. I have an idea that could theoretically produce some result. I have to get the idea live and in the wild and actually up and running hmm. so that I can then go optimize it to actually get to the result that I want. And what happens is most people can't ever get the idea live. And then if they do get the idea live, they haven't done it in a way where they have any sort of insights or visibility in order for them to go optimize it to get to the results that they want. So they'll launch an idea and then they'll kill it right away because it wasn't a one-hit wonder. And 99.9% of ideas are not one-hit wonders. Mm -hmm. So what we do when people come out is the first step is you got to get really, really clear on what are we actually trying to accomplish here? Like what's the outcome that we're trying to create so that we can then decide what we're actually going to do? So a simple analogy would be You have to first know what the outcome is. And then second, I call it, you got to create a shopping list. It doesn't work if my wife's like, hey, go get food. Okay, so like if the outcome is we want to have dinner, it's like, cool, but I want to know like what kind of dinner, like specifically what's the outcome. And then I got to create a shopping list of here are the specific elements that I'm going to go actually do in my business to produce that outcome. Because what a lot of people do is they skip the end result. They hear somebody talk about an idea and they're like, I'm going to go do that thing. 
not once do they ever stop and vet whether or not they should actually go do that thing and whether that matters in the big scheme of what they're trying to do in their business. And then the next step is we have to actually go create a plan. When we get into the laws of implementation, one of the fundamental laws of implementation is you can't actually implement an idea. You can only implement a plan, but nobody ever stops to convert an idea into a plan. What they do is they come back. you got the visionaries. They're like, hey, here's what we're going to do. They draw a little chicken scratch thing up on a whiteboard. They walk out the office. And then the thing I love is that the visionary has the audacity to come back in and be frustrated or shocked that the chicken scratch that they threw up on the board didn't turn into exactly what they had in their mind when they envisioned it. So as we work with our clients and in our business, we're very clear on what is the outcome that you're actually trying to create here so that I can tell you you'd be stupid if you did these three things. I want to make sure that whatever we decide we're going to go implement to produce that outcome actually is connected to whatever the outcome is that you want. And then the next thing is before we go build anything, before we go implement anything, we get really clear and create. It's like a blueprint, just like with a house right? What do we actually need in order to make this thing go live so that we're all aligned and on the same page and we know exactly what work it's going to take? Mm-hmm. And then we can go implement. And trying to do that before that, we have a term we use called blimplementing, which is when you try and blueprint and implement at the same time. <laughs> that doesn't work very well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think core values within a business are so important, especially to kind of accomplish the goals of the business amongst yourselves, but also accomplish the goals of the people that you're serving. So two of the core values within your business really stuck out to us. Those are create awesome and improve your awesome. Can you kind of unpack these core values for us and explain why they're a part of your business? Yeah, absolutely. And another way, I'll throw a couple other words too, just to describe them. So create awesome could also be described as amaze. I'll talk about that in a second. And then improve your awesome could also be described as upgrade, like continually upgrade. So here's why they're in there. One, again, the business exists to solve a problem for somebody, create a transformation. I believe that when you're working with clients, there are two variables that you have to manage. One of them is the value or the quality of what you deliver. So it's the actual value. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want you to run my Facebook advertising. Or in our case, I want you to come help me simplify how I implement marketing automation in my business. Cool. I have to actually be able to do that well. And that's just the value. The other part of it, though, is the experience. And there are two variables to manage. And those two together are what ultimately impacts the client. It's what they're going to remember is the combination of those two things. The key to remember is... If I have world-class quality and crappy experience, I will lose to somebody who has world-class experience and crappy quality. Hmm. Let that sink in. Wow. When you have the option at the end of the day between I have world-class quality but crappy experience and I have crappy quality but amazing experience, if you interview clients as they're walking out of those businesses, the ones that will be happier are the ones that had a better experience. Now, I'm not proposing that anybody try and shoot for amazing experience and crappy quality. (laughs) The only reason why I share that is to highlight the importance of experience in addition to quality. So this create awesome, or another way of saying that is amaze, it's about making sure that you're identifying both of those and that you are world-class talent and quality in what you do, and you are world-class in your experience. You are amazing your clients, which just to be real clear, is not the same as making sure your clients know that you're amazing. It's a totally different thing. You're actually amazing your clients with the experience, which shows that you care. And then also in the actual quality of what you're delivering. So the create awesome for me, when we started sixth division, I've always been fascinated with the Navy SEALs. And when we started, I remember we were sitting in our little teeny office, which is about the size of the room that we're in right now. (laughs) And there were like five of us. So it's a little tight, but we're talking about what do we want this business to be? And it's like, I want to create an elite team of people. I want to be like the Navy SEALs in suits when it comes to marketing automation. Because with the Navy SEALs, there's the SEALs and then there's everybody else. It's not like there's the SEALs that are just one notch above everybody. It's like, no, there are the SEALs, massive gap, everybody else. So create awesome for me is, no, that's what we're creating. 
and we don't rest. Like we are creating something that is head and shoulders and chest and waist above what everybody else is doing. So that's the idea behind Create Awesome. And we look for every opportunity to create that. And then the Improve Your Awesome is sort of a guard against the idea that like if you're really good at something, you got to be careful not to get enamored with yourself. Because what happens if you get enamored with yourself is what I mentioned before, where it starts to become more like, I want to make sure that people know that I'm amazing, rather than me being disciplined to continue to amaze. For me, life is about a relentless pursuit of personal growth. You ever seen A Knight's Tale? Yeah. With Heath Ledger? Okay, so there's a scene that I freaking love. He's going through all the tournaments, and he's got the one nemesis guy that he wants to fight against. He's going through the tournaments, and there's one tournament that he wins, but he doesn't get a fight against the guy because the guy's at battle or whatever. And he comes back. We're talking like dirt poor, broke people. He comes back. He's got this big old massive gold cup. You know what I'm talking about? Remember this scene? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he comes back and everybody's super excited. Oh, you won. They're cheering him on. And he is pissed because he didn't get to play against this other guy. So he takes the gold cup. He throws it. It's like melt it down, whatever. I don't even care about it. That's sort of my approach to, hey, we did something really cool. And for me, it's like, cool. All that is, is it's a platform for me to go do something cooler. It is not something for me to sit back and like be in awe of and be inspired by. You take a minute to be like, hey, that was cool. We accomplished something. So celebrate the win for about a minute. And then that win is only designed to be a platform for me to stand on. So the improve your awesome is you don't ever stop. Like it's yeah. I just, mm-hmm. it's what I'm about is relentless pursuit of personal growth, company growth, and not from like, it's just a revenue standpoint, but just quality and experience. How can we continually be improving? And I don't ever want to stop. Hey, DM listeners. Did you know that you can generate leads from Instagram without using any landing pages or websites? If you're not sure what I'm talking about, Instagram actually allows businesses and influencers to set up automations to automatically capture leads through the Instagram inbox. So this means that you can generate leads for your business all using 100% automated Instagram messages. And the good news is our friends at Bot Builders can show you exactly how to do it. They're an industry leader and these guys have landed some of the biggest clients in the world. So if you want to learn how to use Instagram automation to generate leads, go check out their free training at botwebinar.com. They'll show you exactly how it works. You'll see a live demo and also how you can start using their pre-built templates to start going after big clients yourself. Once again, that's botwebinar.com. Part of the MarTech industry, you know, the industry itself is so crowded with options. Even in our DM Engage group, we have people posting every day like, which this should I use? Which blank should I use? And it doesn't matter how many like conversations you give them to look at. They want to know now which is the best. So it can be really hard for them to justify the cost of so many different options and software tools. So if you're talking to someone like a client who's super overwhelmed by this to even start marketing automation, what do you tell them and how do you get them on the right path for their business? There's two questions in there. One is, how do I decide which tools to go use in my business? And the second one is, how do I decide if it makes sense to justify the cost of those tools? Mm-hmm. So the key, and it's, it's, I chuckle because it's not just in the Facebook group that those questions come up. So I was like, hey, should I get this tool? I'm like, well, stop. Wrong question. <laughs> what are you trying to do? Yeah. And then we can decide if the tool actually will serve and create some value there. Mm-hmm. So what a lot of people do is they come at it backwards. They want to buy a tool and then they show up and be like, okay, what should I use this for? Or what can I do with this? Or, hey, should I go buy that tool? And the, the place that you start is actually, well, what are you trying to accomplish in your business? What is the outcome that you're trying to create? So we were at dinner recently with uh, Dominic. And I asked him, like, hey, so what tool are you using to run your business? He's like, well, and it's kind of like the, sort of the, the beginning of the, well, I don't actually know because I don't have a solid <laughs> answer. Maybe we can have a conversation around it. 
And ultimately, what a lot of people want to do is they want to dive into the conversation around the tech and how they should use it. And it's like, well, then let's just stop. Set the tech aside. I don't care what the tech is. Let's look at your business. What are you selling? How are you selling it? What is the experience and the journey that you're going to create for your clients as they move along? That becomes the shopping list that I can then go look at a tool and say, oh, well, this tool makes sense for me to use or to not use based on what I'm actually trying to make the tool do. It's sort of like, hey, should I buy a hammer or should I buy a screwdriver? I don't know. Are you going to hit nails or are you going to put screws in? Like mm-hmm. It kind of depends. And that's a very simplistic example. But most entrepreneurs, they can't answer the question of what they're trying to do at a detailed level. They'll be like, well, I'm trying to build a house. You didn't answer the question because I could use a screwdriver or I could use a hammer mm-hmm. as part of building a house. We have to come down one level and say, well, what are you actually trying to do? Are we talking about... Are we going to be hammering nails into the two by fours? Or do we have something that we're actually screwing together over here? Like, what are we actually trying to do? So when you get into the business, it literally gets down to, if you can't articulate what you're trying to make happen in your business within the realm of marketing automation, which we may have to at some point touch on what marketing automation actually is. Yeah, um, yeah let's do but, it. But if we're talking like marketing automation, the technologies tools, if you can't articulate with clarity for you and everybody on your team and the people that you're going to go buy tools from on a piece of paper or on a dry erase board, before you ever get to the tech, if you can't have people look and make, oh, that's what you're trying to make happen, you should not be shopping for tools yet. So you've got to have that clear plan. And then the second one, in terms of how do you justify it? Yeah, they can start to stack up, but the reality is they either produce the value or not. I remember we were having a conversation with somebody, I think it was when I was at Infusionsoft, and they wanted to add extra users, but they were balking at the price of the extra users. Like, look, it's real simple. It was like 59 bucks a month or something. It's either worth it or it's not. It either produces the value or it doesn't. So when you start to stack up the tools, I mean, the reality is, is you can get almost an entire suite of tools that will run pretty much your entire business. You can do it for like under 500 bucks. And the question is, is does it produce more than $500 worth of value? And if it does, then you go get it. It doesn't matter. You can be prudent in a business by managing costs, but you can't grow a business by cutting costs. You have to be willing to invest in the expense. So for me, it's like, hey, well, I got this tool. It's going to cost me another 150 bucks a month. Should I do it? What will it get you? Which goes back to like, do you know why you're getting the tool and what the outcome will be? Is it going to get you more visitors to your website? Is it going to help you convert more of those into conversations? You just make a financial justification of life. I have this tool. Here's how it's going to come down. It's either going to give me more time or it's going to give me better insight so I can make better decisions or it's going to help me make more money. It's going to cost me this much. I see what the ROI is. Yeah, I'm going to go get it. So on the cost side for me, I think people spend way too much time debating about, oh, I've got a whole bunch of software subscriptions. Yeah, because you're running a business and it's doing stuff for you that you couldn't do otherwise. The real question, I think, is should you have the tools in the first place mm-hmm. based on what you're trying to actually accomplish in your business? It actually reminds me of don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And if we want to tie that specifically, if being hungry in that analogy mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur and as a marketer is when you're at an event. They're at an event and you're getting hyped up on all, yeah. the, all the Kool-Aid <laughs> that they're selling from stage. That's not when you go buy a marketing automation tool or whatever. No, you take that and you decide, cool. I got to create my shopping list, right? So like, that's a cool idea. I see that I could go get ice cream as a possibility or pizza as a possibility. Let me stop and get re-anchored in what I'm trying to do in my business. And let me go make a shopping list and decide if pizza actually fits when I'm not in the middle of being all hyped up on what the speaker just said from stage yeah. or whatever. So hopefully everybody tracked the pizza to marketing analogy. That's <laughs> my favorite analogy. Yeah, I made yeah. all week. <laughs> <laughs> so let's lay down the foundation real quick. In your eyes, what is marketing automation? Oh, yeah. Okay. And why should businesses be paying attention to marketing automation? Okay, so marketing automation is, well, let's talk about what it's not. Okay. 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 So there's two big reasons why I hate the words marketing automation. And the first one is the word marketing. The second one is the word automation. (laughs) (laughs) So it has the ability, 
So let's be really clear. There's this concept called marketing automation, and we've labeled it marketing automation. I think the label is stupid. And the concept of marketing automation is fantastic. Here's why I don't like marketing and automation combined. It puts blinders on what people see as being possible with this thing that we have decided to label marketing automation, because here's what happens. If we sit in a room, I've done this, so I know. If we sit in a room and I say, hey, let's stop all the ideas and things that come to mind, activities that come to mind when I say marketing, we'll get stuff like advertising, Facebook, pay-per-click. We'll get a list of those things. Now let's list all the things that come to mind when we say automation, and we get stuff like set it and forget it, autopilot, robotic, non-personal, all of those mm-hmm. sorts of things. And for whatever reason, when you combine marketing automation together, what it does to the human brain is it narrows it down, and the only thing that people can think of is email autoresponders. <laughs> what they do is they look at their business and they're looking for the places and the opportunities where they could plug in an email autoresponder. And that literally represents like five or 10% of what's possible if you really look at what marketing automation can do in your business, which is why 99% of the people that are out there using marketing automation walk around knowing I can do more with this. I could be doing more. A lot of them will say literally like, yeah, I'm only using like 10% of whatever tool I'm using. And it's because we put blinders on when we came into the game in the first place. And we said, oh, it's just about marketing and automation. The reality is it's not. So there's two ways we have to expand this. It's more than just marketing. It actually is something that can be used across the entire journey. So when you handle your leads to how you handle your prospects to how you handle your clients. And that applies whether you're doing really a fully automated online business where you got info courses or digital downloads or even physical products where the business pretty much is automated. Marketing automation spans all of those phases of the business. And what a lot of people totally miss is you can use this thing that we call marketing automation to run your back office and make your life way, way easier. So we use it to run our entire hiring process. We use it to handle collections and follow up on overdue balances. And there's a whole element of automation that's happening at every step in that process. So if we expand marketing and we expand it out to like, no, it's the entire client journey plus the back office. All of a sudden, our blinders open up like, I never thought about taking all the principles of marketing automation and applying it to like new client automation or hiring automation or collections automation. And then the other side of it, if we expand automation and we come down, so I'm kind of visually creating like this graph. If we expand automation down, there's not really many businesses that are fully automated. There's this crazy thing that it requires humans to do work. And so now what we have is we've got marketing, we've got sales, we've got client fulfillment, we've got back office items, we've done a bunch of automation, but this idea or this thing we call marketing automation, but we've labeled that, also is about creating systems for when a human has to go do the work. And so you start to look at the sales process when you have a sales team, and it's about identifying an upgraded experience and value in that sales process where there are going to be some things that are automated. I may send some email reminders here and there. But it's also about the systematic process of how every single person in your organization is handling prospects and converting them into sales so that you're doing the same thing every single time so that you can get reporting on it so that you can actually go optimize it. In our business, every single dollar we make right now is on the back of us sitting down and working one-on-one with clients. We use marketing automation on the manual steps that we take all of our clients through when they come in and they onboard. And it's what has allowed us to grow and scale is by using this thing called marketing automation in a non-automated part of the business that has nothing to do with marketing. So when we think marketing automation, the biggest thing that I would say is don't limit it to marketing automation. It's across the entire client journey. So it's how you market and deal with your leads. It's how you sell and deal with your prospects. And it's how you fulfill and deliver with your clients. And it's how you get in and make sure that human beings are doing work the same way every single time, and you make it easier for them to do their job. And then you also have the back office component. It's a bigger game than just, oh, I can go put a lead magnet up and send some follow-up emails. 
you know, like it will literally infiltrate the entire aspect of your business if you do it the right way, which is really where the value starts to come into play. What's something every marketer should read? Oh, man. So many books that could be read. So many books. I'll go with the one that I read that was the foundation of us building the business. So I'm going to modify the question just a little bit. Yeah. And I'm not going to talk to the marketer because first you're a business owner. And then there's a marketing function within the business owner. And so is Michael Masterson's Ready, Fire, Aim. I don't know if you guys have read that one. Phenomenal book. And here's what it does. It basically breaks down, I think it's four or five phases that all businesses will go through as they grow. And it tells you what your primary challenge will be at each phase. And it tells you what you need to focus on at each phase. And the beauty of it is that it just allows you to ignore a whole bunch of things. So I read the first section when I started. I think it's like zero to a million, a million to three, maybe three to 10, might be zero to one, one to 10, 10 to 100 and 100 plus. I'm like, well, I'm getting started. I am not trying to go from one to 10, so I can ignore (laughs) the rest of it. So when Uh we started, I just read the first section and I ignored everything else. And it really helped me focus in on where to start and what to focus on. And in there, there are the principles around like, here's what you need to focus on from a marketing and a sales standpoint and from a client fulfillment standpoint. And then once we hit the seven figure mark in that first year, then the subsequent is like, okay, now, now it's time to go read the next section and see what I can clean out of it. So as a foundational book for anyone that's getting started with a company or even someone who has built some success, but is looking to get past that seven figure mark or even looking to go to the eight figure mark. It's a great guide for, hey, let me just give you a permission slip to just focus on this right now. And once you get to this spot, I got some more from you, but you don't need to worry about it. There are a whole bunch of things that people feel like they need to worry about now in their business. Like, no, that's down the road. Don't actually try and solve a problem until it has become a problem. Hmm. So I'd go Michael Masterson, Ready, Fire, Aim is phenomenal. So kind of taking that, prescribing something to a business owner, entrepreneur, per revenue level. In your mind, where should they be? What marketing automation, business automation tech should they be employing at each level of their business? That's a great question. And it's sort of a, it depends is the answer. I hate when I have to give that. Mm -hmm. I I hate when I have to give that answer, but it depends because it depends on the type of thing that they're selling and where there's leverage, right? So if you do marketing automation, right, you can go all the way across the business and you can use it to either increase your capacity to serve people, You can use it to save time for your team. You can use it to increase the experience. So for us, when we started, we used marketing automation, but not for the marketing or the automation. We actually used it to handle how we delivered for our clients. Mm. And so if you're in a heavy services industry or you're in a services business where your biggest amount of time is going into probably selling and then fulfilling, what probably would make more sense is that you start uh, with a tool that allows you to make your life easier when it's time to go deliver for your clients. So how can I set it up where every time a sales rep or the business owner says, hey, I got a new client, I want to push a button that does a bunch of marketing automation, magical things, so that when my client shows up to do work with me, they're ready. I don't want them showing up to get ready. What a lot of entrepreneurs are doing is they get a client and the client shows up and then they spend a ridiculous amount of time trying to train the client on how they're going to work with them. So if I have 10 clients, I got to spend the first X amount of my time with each one of those clients saying the same thing over and over and over again, just to get the client to the point where we can actually get some results and get some value. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. So the idea would be if you're in a heavy services business, then I would look at marketing automation, like out the gate, I would look at using marketing automation out the gate to create systems around how you're delivering for your clients so that you minimize your cost factor going in because that ultimately your scaling factor is going to be What's my inventory? How many clients can I take? And if I can decrease the amount of time and energy it takes to deliver for those clients, then I have the ability to scale more. And it usually is not as much about a marketing function when you're running either an agency or a services business. You're going to get a lot of business based on referrals. You're going to be doing a lot of networking is probably going to be a primary mechanism. So your automation would be more on the back end. 
And then you get to other businesses where if you're doing digital courses, stuff like that, then you've got to do more marketing on the front end because that's going to be your scaling point is I got to get in front of people and then I got to convince them to get in the course. But if I'm doing an online course, there's no scale roadblock or bottleneck there. People buy, they go into the course. It becomes a marketing and sales challenge. So there aren't many businesses for me where I look at them and say, oh, you should wait and not do marketing automation like right out the gate. The only ones where I would say that is if you have somebody who does not have a muscle at all for managing any sort of technology. And it's like, you need to go find someone (laughs) that's going to run this for you. Because in the same way that if you hire an employee, you have to have the ability to lead the employee. Hiring marketing automation, it's the same way. You have to have the skill set to be able to handle that employee. And I might be able to handle like very nice, easygoing employees. But if I were to hire someone who's got like some energy and gusto, it's a new skill set to manage that person. And to hire marketing automation would be the same thing. So I don't think it's as much about revenue numbers. I think it's more about, do you have the skill set or are you willing to invest in somebody else to have the skill set to run it? That's sort of like the cost of admission. And then from there, it becomes a matter of where is your scale breaking? Where are you bottlenecked? And automation has the ability to get rid of those bottlenecks. You got some companies like, no, we only deal with five clients at a time. We got a super high-end product offering and there's no need to do automation. Well, cool. There's no bottleneck there then. Yeah. So there's no reason why you would go get it in the first place. So a question that we like to ask every guest that comes on the DM podcast is to take a look at all of their experiences and all of the wisdom that they've gained over the years and travel back in time to when you were 25. What's something that you wish you could go back and tell your 25-year-old self? Oh, man. Just one thing? I got, I got a couple. <laughs> I mean, it can be a few. I got a couple of things. The first one is I would hammer into my 25-year-old self's head what Steve Jobs said. And it's one of the quotes on one of our core values. It says, everything that you see around you was all made up by other people and they're no smarter than you and you can change it. Hmm. And I would hammer into my head in the way that I looked at the world that I saw the world for what it was, which is everybody's making stuff up. I think a lot of times we walk through the world like we're surrounded by a bunch of brick walls of the way that people have created things. And the reality is it's all tinfoil. And what I mean by that is we create our own roadblocks. So I'm going to go start a business, but I can't do it this way because other people have said it has to be done this way. It's like, no, it's just somebody else's opinion based on what they've learned. And they're not any smarter than you. You can go learn whatever you need to go learn. So I love Steve Jobs has a little video clip. It's about 45 seconds of floating around the Internet. And that's basically what he says. Like, look, most people think that, like, there's a box. You got to live in the box. And the reality is, is that box was just drawn by somebody. And they're not really any smarter than you. And you can go change it and you can change it to whatever you want. I would hammer that into my head because that becomes a foundation of just how you look at the world. Like, okay, cool. You say that things have to be done this way. And instead of me taking it as a brick wall, I'm going to take that. All right, cool. I got it. And I can do something to influence that. Everything is negotiable. Everything's changeable. So Hmm. that would be a big one because I believe it's a platform and a foundation. It's what I'm trying to drill into my kids' heads is that that's how they go see the world. And then another one, I mean, if this were possible, I don't know how much it's possible to actually drill this into your head. I think experience is what actually teaches it to you. (laughs) Yeah. But if I could, the other one I would drill into my own head is the idea of like ignore FOMO. Ignore the fear of missing out. And specifically for me, what it is like, don't get caught up in your own hype and don't get caught up in the hype of anybody else. Be really clear what it is that you want. Internalize it so that you don't have to second guess. But when you see people that are doing Facebook ads or posting pictures and they've got like their fancy cars and they've got their house, they got whatever, know that the people that are actually winning in life and in business and actually get it, they're not doing that. They're not extravagant. They're not over the top. There's a handful of people that are like that. But my experience has been that those people are in the middle of this wave and it will come back to reality. And most people I've talked to and I've had situations like, oh, that was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. And I was telling myself that I really wanted this thing and I needed this thing, but no, I didn't really need that. And then as I talked to other people like, yeah, we had a bunch of success 
got a bunch of money or whatever, went and did X, Y, and Z. And now I just wish I would never have done any of that stuff. So huh. it's sort of like a tortoise in the hair analogy of tortoise that thing, man. Mm-hmm. Just be okay with life is going to be this consistent, methodical thing. And as you have successes that spike, don't create that your lifestyle runs with that. Profit only comes when you create successes and you have the discipline to say no to adding additional expense. And that's in terms of time. It's in terms of money. It's in terms of peace of mind. So stay level-headed and be the tortoise on your expense side and let the spikes happen on the hair side, but don't let your expenses go with that. So that would be another one. It's like, just, you're going to do a lot of cool stuff and don't get hyped up on it. Uh You've convinced me to cancel my Blue Apron account. (laughs) (laughs) Mine specifically is I'm not a huge car person. So like I went crazy and I got an Audi A4 and it's like a Sportline edition. And it's like, I don't know, my car payments are whopping like 500 bucks. It's like nothing crazy. But I'm coming from driving Civics forever. You know, I've had it for a couple of years. My lease is coming up. I got to the point I'm like, I'm spending an extra... Some people will probably laugh at this, like, dude, that's not even that much of a car payment. Like, yeah, but like the way my <laughs> mind goes, so, yeah. I'm spending 300 bucks a month, which is 3,600 bucks over the year, which for me translates into I can take my wife and my kids and we can stay in a beachfront house in California mm-hmm. on a four day weekend. And I don't care that much about the car. I got it more out of the influence of like, oh, no, it's time to upgrade from a Civic or whatever. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so there's a little bit of like when you verbalize it, it can sound really cheesy. And the reality is, is that, that real profit is only created when you keep your expenses. And again, I'm not just talking monetarily because mm-hmm. there's also like emotional Resources. expense and there's time expense. The only way that you create profit is if you have the discipline to keep your expenses low while you go create spikes on the top line. But it's in the gap is where you actually win. And it's just true. Like people that are wealthy are the ones that keep their money. People that have peace of mind are the ones that keep their time. It's such an important lesson, and I think it can really come across as woo or sometimes weak or cheesy because you've got this massive vision that people like to paint of the lifestyle you ought to go get. It's like, no, just know what you actually want. Be committed to that and don't get hyped up with all the energy that's going on around us. Well, thank you so much, Brad, for joining us. Next time you're in Austin, swing on by. We'll do this again. Oh, will do. And last thing is, where can people find out more about you and what you've got going on? Yeah, perfect. So sixdivision.com is the place to go, and it's spelled out. So S-I-X-T-H division.com. Here's why you'd want to go. You're looking at this world of MarTech, marketing automation, and you're like, okay, he did give a big answer. But this idea, wait, I can save more time in my team and I can be more leveraged or I can start to automate some elements of my business so that my life's easier. You're looking at that, but you're in the middle like, oh, I got a whole bunch of tools. What tools should I buy? How could I go use this? If you're in that game, what we do is we simplify what it takes to actually get those things implemented. So if you want to play automation in your business or if you're currently playing that game, if you currently have it going and it's like, this is not what I signed up for, <laughs> yeah. um, then just head over there. We've got resources there. We'd love to have a chat and we'll walk through and say, hey, look, here's what you ought to be doing with marketing automation and here's how you can implement it so it's super simple for you and maybe you'll end up working with us and if not, what you'll walk away with at least is a very clear plan of what you should do so you know definitively what the outcome is you're going to get, exactly what you could go be implementing, and then a path of how do you do it so you don't want to rip your hair out and beat your head against a wall. So Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having yeah. me. It was awesome.
Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up. Because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.